And then he just stared at me dead in my eyes and is like, don't talk about my reviews on your show. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a pretty big deal in Edmonton's uh, <laughs> media scene. And that's probably not something you want to do. Wow. I don't get it. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performances in Edmonton. I'm Fonda. And I'm Paul. And we are happy to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Powered, powered by, by ATB. ATB. I wanted to Ooh. say it with you this time. I, oh, thanks, man. Um, cool. <laughs> How are you, Fonda? How is your post-fringe recovery? Um, recovering from the fringe and from the smoke. Mm -hmm. Man, it has been it has been kind of gross in the city lately. Um, but I, I have been doing well. How about you? Are you recovered from your actual run at the fringe? Sure, yeah. Being I'm, in how many shows? Uh, a bunch. <laughs> I'm pretty excited to uh, have a week. And then I'm going to the Vancouver Fringe and going to do it all over again. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I saw a bunch of stuff, not as much as I usually do, uh, because I was trying to um, go home at reasonable times <laughs> as much as I could. Oh, really? I tried. <laughs> Um, but I did see some stuff. Uh, were there any highlights from, from this 2018 Fringe, uh, Fonda, that you saw in terms of shows that uh, sort of a few days afterwards you're still thinking about? Yeah, highlights of the Fringe. Um, I was very pleased to see um, Macbeth Muet, or Muet. I don't know how mm -hmm. it's really pronounced. It's a French word that means mute. Right. <laughs> um, what a beautifully choreographed show. Um, just if you like the Shakespeare play, of course you would have got a little bit more out of it, but it was just such a stunning, uh, visually stunning, very energetic. Um, I was really, it was interesting to see, you know, like sort of one of our hometown boys, John Lachlan Stewart, get a shout out in the New York Times for that show oh, wow. before it even got here. Um, so really great. Um, yeah, just great to see that production. Um, yeah, really, how about you? In like a sentence, how would you summarize what, what it looked like, I guess, in terms of the style of that show? Because it was very stylized. And that was sort of the, the hook of it. Super stylized. It's essentially a two-person pantomime of Macbeth. Cool. Um, with a lot of uh, very low-cost props. Right. Uh, eggs, blood, paper plates, <laughs> um, puppetry. Cool. We're using those those items. And yeah, I, that was a little bit more than one sentence. But that's essentially what it was. Yeah, that was great. Uh, I really liked, um, there were two that come to mind. Uh, that I saw that really uh, are sticking with me. One was for science, uh, which was held over. Uh, so depending on when this episode comes out, you still have an opportunity to see it. Uh, but it was uh, Christine Lassiek's show, um, Small Matters Productions. That's right. Great. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was... Uh, it was totally uh, interactive. It was all for science, and it was two science figures basically setting up um, experiments, which would have names that would project, and then they would set something up and start a timer and wait for the audience to, to start. Oh, Hi, Dorothy. Dorothy's just stretching out, a dog stretching <laughs> out on the floor as um, we talk. And so, well, we know Christine Lysiak in Edmonton, uh, usually through um, sort of clown-type performances. Mm -hmm. um, and so was that sort of what this show was as well? Or Yeah, in a way. Like, it's not clown in nose, mm -hmm. um, but it was very uh, clowny characters. They never spoke, um, and they were sort of used, used a lot of gesture and... And, and their props and sort of the timing and the way they interacted with the audience and the fact there was no fourth wall uh, had that feel of a, of a clown show. But just so um, 
able to bring people in uh, and get them to do these increasingly complicated things on stage that went from uh, everything from just ringing a bell, who would be the first one up to ring a bell, <laughs> to uh, pushing a cup of Lego right to the edge and then seeing if a person would save it or, you know, knock it over, oh. uh, to more and more uh, complicated ones that I don't want to give away. But uh, yeah, so it was just a series of experiments, but just utterly fascinating to watch, as much for the people watching uh, as it was for the, the show. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, also held over was Whiteface. Mm -hmm. um, did you get to see that one? I did not. I'm going to go on Thursday. Oh, to the holdover, yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, I thought, I mean, it was a great show. It made you uh, really think about, you know, sort of how you act as a, how you navigate the world as a white person and what that feels like for people who are not white. Sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just really thought it was an important show to have at the fringe um, as as sort of uncomfortable as it was in moments. I think that it was um, really enjoyable, too. Right, right. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, the other one that really stands out for me was uh, the Alien Baby play, mm -hmm. uh, which was put on by Impossible Mongoose Productions, who did Prophecy, which I think uh, did win a sterling uh, out of last year's Fringe, mm -hmm. I believe. Uh, but this was a, a one-person show uh, about someone who is 15 months pregnant with an alien baby, and you know we're all here basically to watch the birth happen, to, wow. to watch that. And, and as the show goes, they... Uh, they start unpacking how this came to be in their life sort of around that and before that and dealing with that. Um, and uh, the script was pretty good, uh, but the performance was what really sold it. So right from when you're coming into the theater, uh, this person is there welcoming you, giving you snacks, you know, cookies, or if they run out of cookies, pretzels. And, uh, and yeah, I just sort of like really created a mood for this very sort of science fiction-y, uh, sort of surreal uh, scenario, but that, that performance really made it plausible in that sense where you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, th that is what we're about to see. Interesting. Great. That's a hell of a gestation period. Yeah, you yeah. You know, don't humans have like one of the longest gestation periods as of all things as it is or sure. of all things that we know of? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty up there. Um, another show that I saw that I really loved actually on the first day was called Hotel Vortruba. Ooh, yeah. Um, it was just this beautiful uh, clown show, um, really nicely done. It's called by Ragmop Theater. And um, it, they did a show years ago um, – Falling Awake? Falling Awake. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so this was kind of uh, a, a departure from that, but also very much of their style. Uh, and that's how it was like physical theater? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's all physical theater and a lot. It kind of had the arc of an outdoor show, sort of like street performer tricks. They were doing okay. like, you know, the there's there's the big finish where, you know, it's a, a big physical stunt mm -hmm. sort of. Um, but the rest of it is all just kind of like these, this little menagerie of scenes in like a creepy old hotel in Hungary, I believe. Sure, it's yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I, I just thought uh, visually, um, physically, a really interesting show. I would go and see stuff by Ragmop Theater again for sure. Great. Um, there was one more that I wanted to bring up, but never got one I wanted. Think about it. Think about it. Eddie Poe is really good. Sure. Um, that was the uh, the same folks who did the Unrepentant Necrophile mm -hmm. at Chinook. Um, yeah, uh, the, the Cold, Cold Hearts. Hearts. Yeah. We're on it today, nice. Paul. <laughs> Linking up sentences. All right, cool. Okay, well, so enough about the shows at the Fringe. We all know there were shows at the Fringe. What about what else happened at the Fringe, Paul? Sure. Uh, I feel like this was a particularly uh, fascinating year for uh, reviews and criticism at the Fringe. Sort of, um, It seemed there was a myriad discussions popping up uh, about the reviews themselves that weren't necessarily uh, tethered to um, the the content so much as um, the tone or or what was being brought up as as points of criticism. 
Um, so there was a review in the Edmonton Journal of, mm-hmm. of uh, the importance of being earnest, uh, which had sort of was a modern update of the show. So people had smartphones, you know, that, that sort of world. And there was a, there was a line in the original review uh, that came up, which was, strangely enough, a very positive. I think it was a four-star review, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, brought up a question of sort of the mixed-race casting was the term used, yeah. uh, which which uh, had some uh, backlash, and then and then that was pulled out, and they sort of added an editor's note uh, with a comment from the writer who was sort of. Um, Trying to uh, explain sort of what they what they meant. Um, I'm not sure necessarily that they uh, they made it any clearer, but yeah, I think the comment ended up being that that was it didn't you know um, it was trying to comment on how the diversity didn't make sense not only in Oscar Wilde's era but also what was I think what mm-hmm. people found most offensive was that um, he said something to the effect of it didn't make the relationships in the play make sense yeah um, like what right <laughs> you know? right right yeah there was sort of it it was meant to try and like walk back some of the some of the the backlash that it was facing but I yeah there was sort of issues with like yeah I I think the point was missed in that this was a show that was a modern update um, and and this comment on and the way it was framed originally and then the way it was sort of reframed still didn't get to the point when it was like, yeah, they can, this isn't an issue. Like having a mixed race cast is not an mm-hmm. issue um, that, that somehow is like, oh, well, now it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it just he, the 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 correction just dug deeper essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, the the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is when I first it first showed up in my Facebook feed, I thought, "What is happening?" Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, "How did that even get through the original editor at the journal who put that either online or in print, however it appeared sure. first? Like, what was the process?" And we know that during the fringe, things are happening fast and furious. Editorial rooms have fewer staff you know fewer reviewers too Mm -hmm. so there were things that were getting passed and posted that i I, and i think also on the view weekly website yes that were not vetted Mm -hmm. (laughs) properly or very well yeah there were some things uh in in a number of the view reviews were also sort of concerns were raised about tone Mm -hmm. uh to the point when uh View Weekly first removed a line from a, a review that it had given zero stars to, and then um, removed the review and sent someone else to review it, uh, which then gave the show four and a half stars um, in, a, in a different review. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, is kind of uh, was done without a note or a comment or without any sort of uh, commentary. And uh, as was uh, we were discussing before before we started this recording, uh, about we haven't reached out to view, we haven't talked to them about that decision. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is uh, unusual to um, see that sort of major change made, in this case, the removal of a review and a replacement with a brand new one, uh, without any sort of comment being made publicly. Yeah, and you did point out something that I think, I don't know if it happened with your show or another show you heard about, but there was something like the star creep yeah, happened. Um, what, what was that? Sure. Uh, our, our show, um, the star review sort of inched up over the course of a week. Sure. Um, in, it started as a two and a half, and then uh, it became a three a few days later. And then a few days after that was a three and a half. And there was a, the only thing that got changed in the actual text of the review was uh, a small typo or like a, a small. The, the word was wrong, but they, they swapped mm. it out. 
Um, the name of the play was still wrong in the review the whole way through. Right. Um, right. But um, yeah, uh, to jump back to the to the other one, the replacement, just real quick. Uh, there was a comment that was made on the website because someone, this is obviously a zero star review, um, got a number of comments of people um, both sort of in agreement with your review and disagreement with the review. But then when they replaced it, someone commented again being like, look, um, this is bewildering that this happened. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. That wasn't the exact word they used, but just that I had commented on the original one. Now that's gone um, without any sort of note. Why Why did this happen? Um, why was this, this replaced? Um, yeah. Right. Um, there was a, some other chatter that I was noticing was from um, some of the more sort of uh, – long-time uh, theater producers in mm-hmm. Edmonton uh, saying that um, or pointing out that certain reviews were very fair. Um, like Colin McLean uh, was view- reviewing for Gig City. Uh, right. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, Liz Nichols had her own contingent of former journal people out yeah. reviewing as well. Yeah, Twelfth um, Night had a, a group rather than just Liz. Yeah, yeah so um, Alan Kellogg and Todd, Todd Babiak were also reviewing for TwelfthNight.ca. Um, and so I was noticing in a couple of the reviews that came out from those outlets, like from those sort of like trusted reviewers mm-hmm. um, that are trusted journalists, maybe, um, that, that people were saying, oh, yes, please check out this review it's very fair even if it was only three and a half stars from Colin McLean Mm -hmm. it was still like something that they wanted to point out more than you know something maybe that was poorly written elsewhere (laughs) I think I think this happens sort of every fringe to an extent um, because there are so many people covering um, theater who don't normally cover theater um, and suddenly more than ever during the rest of the year, um, those reviews have like immediate economic impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say great reviews on on a show during the main season doesn't have a big impact, but a lot of the people who are going to theater are going to go see most of the shows in the theater season or a bunch of them or they'll have their favorite performers or writers or companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, at the Fringe, it's very immediate um, how much power those reviews can have. Uh, in terms of in terms of their impact on on how many people will go through the door and take a chance on your work, I had a train of thought. I lost it. It was going somewhere. It was going somewhere. Important. Think about it for a second, because I sure. remember the show that I wanted to shout out that was really good. Great. The zoo story was excellent. Yeah. Like what a satisfying production to see. Just like great script, great performances. Nothing else needed, really. Right, a park bench. Yeah, it was just uh, fantastic. I've loved that play since I was 14 years old when I found it, and I was just like, ooh, who's Edward Albee? Um, Yeah, it was was cool to see. Cool. I got it. Um, Yeah, so all of this this happens always, all the time. The reviews are very um, powerful at the fringe. And uh, and there's always, you know, concern about, oh, this person just didn't get it or they didn't give this show a fair shake or, or whatever. But this seemed like one of the first years where, as you sort of brought up earlier, um, editorial, like, oversight seemed very lacking in a way that maybe it hasn't been hasn't been as apparently in previous years in terms of anything from sort of weird lines, weird problematic lines like like the one in the Oscar Wilde review to mm-hmm. some of just the tone of the the view ones which were seen as very uh, often seen as very harsh yeah some of um, them were a little bit vicious that's yeah. kind of disappointing yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and you know not even necessarily commenting on parts of the play um, but just sort of observations about about the room or, or the the type of room it was in versus the type of show it was in um, 
And yeah, but usually there's the editorial sort of safety net is the thing that is supposed to catch that and be like, hey, that's this seems strange or problematic. Let's re- rewrite that or clarify your point or this is not a good point to make. Take it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the year that it really felt like, um, at least of the, of the past ones that I can remember, that it was such such an issue. Like I can remember sort of standalone critics who have been seen as like issues or or like, oh, this person is very... Uh, cruel in their tone or, or this in their tone or mm-hmm. over over nicer, any of those things. But uh, this year it seemed a lot more a lot more widespread. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like that was kind of like free, free reign. And I don't know if that's really the best. But, I mean, that's the way the Fringe is for its own production and presentation too. So let the writers run loose, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's the best choice. I don't either. Um, okay, well, that's um, that was that, that's a lot. That's a lot. For yeah, the fringe. Yeah, that's a lot. Let's all sleep sleep off the fringe. All right, uh, and do that by going into an ad. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation and the Well Endowed Podcast. On this month's episode, you'll hear how a scholarship that was set up in memory of Don Snyder is helping FolkFest volunteers pursue their post-secondary education, and how the Terra Center is integrating indigenous cultural learning into its support for young parents. And we learn how Alberta Helping Animals Society is supporting vulnerable Edmontonians by providing care for their companion animals. To listen, visit thewellendowedpodcast.com. Well, we've got uh, a continuing our sort of on the media episode. Mm-hmm. We've got some some uh, things that happened in the arts and culture scene and the media that that were kind of interesting. First, um, I wanted to point out that the Sterlings announced that they would be changing um, their gendered performance categories. Right, they'd be removing gender um, from those, so no longer um, best male or best female uh, lead actor or supporting actor, um, just best actor well uh, but they they changed it to actor in a or best performance in a comedy and best performance in a drama ah. and then they did also supporting categories for ah, the right, same right. too so there are still four major acting categories mm-hmm. um but now they've divided it between comedy and drama not gendered mm-hmm. um but there was some um some feedback on the sterling's page about how how they would determine what's a drama and what's a comedy sure what do you do with your dramedies your you know yeah. um, how do you want to ident- self identify your show you know right i mean yeah which uh, that's an interesting thing is that that'll be interesting to see if that is determined by the jurors or um, if companies submit to that category and you say when you're you know saying you're a sterling eligibility or the shows you want people to come see that you tick the box for comedy or dramedy or drama or both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how that plays out and what gets sort of grouped where with the with the first grouping of these that come out in May when they're announced. Yeah, yeah, yeah I April, think May. It, I think that it's always a little bit of a. I mean, it, it's kind of a hard thing to determine because even when I think it's the Emmys that does split between musical and comedy are one category, oh, yeah. and then drama is another category. Category. And for one, I don't know how musical and comedy end up in the same thing. I know that the Doras separates musical, opera, 
I don't know if they do drama and comedy, but mm-hmm. then they do straight play as a different right. thing as the well. the Toronto Awards, yeah. Yeah, that, those are the Toronto Awards. So, you know, it's kind of, yeah, <laughs> it will be interesting to see how they determine how it's going to work. Really. Right, but like I, I, I tip my hat to getting rid of gendered categories, yeah. um, you know, because some people do not fall into those uh, those genders. So it's nice to have that removed. Yeah, so it's a step it's a step in the right direction, but maybe not quite a fully fully fleshed out step yet. <laughs> sure, yeah, and you know, uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. And yeah, I I understand the idea of trying to find some differences if if only to give more awards mm-hmm. um, in terms of comedy and drama versus just just cutting to two, but uh, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Where where are the awards for physical performance? That's what I want to see. Come on. Anyway, yeah. okay. On to another very fascinating thing that happened in the media. There was a big kerfuffle at Alberta Theater Projects down in Calgary. Right. This was uh this was before the fringe. This was a little a little before it, right? Yeah, yeah. It so there the initial release from um ATP went out on August 7th. And the initial announcement was to that they were reprogramming the fifth and final production of their 2018-19 season um, with a play called The New Canadian Curling Club, which is billed as a hilarious and inspiring story by Canadian playwright Mark Crawford from Toronto um, about community, humility, and understanding our differences. Now, this play was uh, programmed to replace a play that had been in development for a a while in Calgary with ATP. Um, And the play was by Michaela Jeffrey called Without the Rule of Law or Without Rule of Law, um, which was featuring an all-female diverse cast. um, And of course, you know, local playwright for Calgary. Mm -hmm. So the the thing that people got hung up on uh, was that their... Initial release from Alberta Theater Projects cited that the replacement in the pl- in programming um, was because uh, the new executive and artistic director Darcy Evans wanted to um, step towards a new vision for ATP that was built on telling stories that were re- representative of Calgary's diverse population. Mm. So they tried to make this seem like a decision that was leaning towards diversity. And how did that shake out? <laughs> uh, didn't shake out so well. Um, and uh, lots of people were sort of in a in a bit of an uproar about that. And then they released a, a follow up statement, which sort of um, was it a was it a statement or the, there was an interview in the Globe and Mail um, where where the uh, artistic director and executive director was was sort of explaining that uh, there were also concerns about selling uh, selling that show and sort of hitting uh, the numbers they wanted for that show. Mm-hmm, uh, the one mm-hmm. that the one that was replaced, uh, they were more confident in this this new show, which would have a bunch of diverse uh, roles. Even though, yeah, the show they sort of, um, uh, you know, and they 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 talked as well about they tried to maybe negotiate moving this to a different theater mm-hmm. um, with the with the creative team of of the show, and and that didn't that didn't end up working out. So everyone was sort of um, uh, out of luck in that sense. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just seemed it seemed um, that PR wise, it was just really poorly handled by ATP mm-hmm. and their and and their board. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and I mean, theater goers in Calgary were posting all over social media saying that they you know they w- didn't want to renew their subscriptions or they wanted some money back because the announcement came after sales had gone on for a while. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that it was. Um, 
it's interesting to see that, you know, the community really wanted to rally around Michaela Jeffrey and her kind of production team um, because this was a play that they had been excited about and mm -hmm. been hearing about for a little while already. Right. And if there, there, if there was one silver lining to all of this, it's that um, they put up, I think, uh, some sort of GoFundMe type uh, funder for a staged reading of the show. And it, you know, it really it hit its, uh, you know. The, its uh, goal very quickly and all sorts of people, including former ATP artistic directors, were donating to that to mm -hmm. sort of see this show get some sort of staging. Yeah, and, and what will be interesting seeing ATP move forward into the season with uh, uh, their new um, executive slash artistic director, which is an interesting combination of position. Mm -hmm. We can have a whole episode about that someday. Um, but yeah, and how, because ATP had um, a couple of pretty rough years leading into to this they re you know i mean less than five years ago didn't they put out the call saying like we need help um we wow. need money mm -hmm. and uh, they had a huge donation campaign uh, or fundraising campaign and um they got pulled out of a really bad situation mm -hmm. and then you know for this to happen and for a bunch of the community to say this is not what i wanted to support mm -hmm. um and this is not how i wanted this company to to go in direction, I guess. It was, yeah, it was. Um, and, of course, you know, the one time that Alberta Theatre ends up getting shown up in glo in the Globe and Mail, mm -hmm. it's something kind of like, oh, great. Yeah, it's another a, a, bad, a bad press story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so sort of a, a really interesting month for looking at um, arts in the media and how those things sort of uh, converse with each other. And especially when there's a platform like The Fringe, how that plays out, where it's a very charged up. Um, very specific 10, 10 day, 11 day run of, of, of very intense focus, um, you know, that, that is, is not always there the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, and then some things, yeah, like these big decisions. Um, and when roles are blending together, like an artistic director and an executive director, why mm -hmm. do a lot of companies keep those separate? Um, and what happens when they, when they come together is a lot of, a lot of interesting things to think about, especially as news stories, um, come forward about about for better or worse what is happening in in people in those positions. Yeah, but at least you know what kind of feels interesting about like August and the whole fringe like uh, timeline and everything is that it, like people are just still now talking about it more. They're mm -hmm. talking about not only the fringe but also the coverage of the fringe and uh, like you know how things are how things are shaking out and and maybe demands on what people want from their media I think are a little bit more prevalent. So that's and that's cool. You know? Yeah, I think it's one of those one of those little little tragedy sort of uh, situations when we look at like right, this is the time of year when people are like, no, there has to be a standard, um, mm. and there should be. Uh, but also, you know, that industry has sort of truncated so much that uh, it's hard to think about how many people could, you know, how many regular theater reviewers would you need during the year. Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to have a team of people doing the fringe who also all see theater throughout the year. Yeah. Real real tricky to think about. Yeah, and who do it like as a job, yeah. you know, so they yeah. feel accountable mm -hmm. and <laughs> and invested. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's I mean, you know, we do this podcast like we say for dozens of dollars. <laughs> if that. <laughs> but um because we do see a lot during the year, you know, I think we're still kind of trying to keep up on the scene and what's happening. Um you get to see the arc of careers in that way, sure, I yeah. guess, but um yeah, anyway, what are the answers? We don't know. We just like to talk about stuff. And how. All right. Speaking of talking, how about an ad.
Not everything lasts forever, and this week we want to congratulate and bid adieu to one of our Alberta Podcast Network pals, the That's So Maven podcast. You can listen to episode 98, A Fond Farewell, to hear about the biggest lessons host Andrea Besa has learned from the podcast and what she's got planned next. For more about That's So Maven and all of our Alberta Podcast Network pals, pals, huh, <laughs> visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. <laughs> All right, Paul, it's the end of the season. Oh, also another goodbye that um, we said this week was sadly um, Orville Chubb of Avenue Magazine, publisher. Right, he right. Passed, yeah, I he heard passed that. Away, so, mm -hmm. so that was um, that was a little bit of other sad news in the media. Mm -hmm. In any case, um, we are wrapping up season four. We have been doing this podcast for four seasons now, Paul. What a world. Yes. What a world. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, but... With that said, uh, here we are on the cusp of September, which means season five is right around the corner. Um, so we're putting together our season preview for early September. So anyone who's hearing this who happens to be involved with an arts organization, big or small, please send us your listings. You can do that uh, by sending those to IDGI, I don't get it, uh, dance, IDGI dance at gmail.com. So just the first letters, IDGI dance. At gmail.com. <laughs> I made that way more complicated. We'll put the email address in the show notes. And you can also just like reach out over Facebook or Twitter and let us know where to find your listings too. That helps. I-D-G-I-D-A-N-C-E <laughs> at gmail.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening to us for four seasons, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Go see some stuff. But first sleep. And then once stuff starts, go then. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinov. There was, um, Andrew had an interesting run in in the beer tent that we were thinking of talking yeah, about. Yeah, do you want to get into it? Do you want to? <laughs> it doesn't have to be on the, on the record. Yeah, so I was in the beer gardens uh, towards the end of the fringe, and uh, we've been chatting a little bit about possibly doing kind of a, a re review and review type show and here talking about the media coverage of the fringe on I Don't Get It. And so I ran into uh, one of the reviewers, and uh, this was after a bunch of sort of issues had been flagged by the artists about the reviews coming out and some of the things that we'll talk about in this upcoming episode. Uh, and then I casually mentioned, it's like, yeah, uh, so how has it been working with the, the new editors over there? And because we're thinking of doing uh, sort of a, a look at uh, the fringe coverage and sort of a review on reviews type uh, show. And so we chatted f for, you know, like 10 minutes. And then at some point, and I think he might have been drinking quite heavily by this point. Okay. Is there seemed like a switch in his brain uh, flicked? And then he just stared at me dead in my eyes and is like, don't talk about my reviews on your show. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a pretty big deal in Edmonton's uh, <laughs> media scene, and that's probably not something you want to do. Wow. I don't get it. 
Wow. <laughs>